Coming up, we talk with Maureen Ramo, the interim director of Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, one of the premier research institutes in the geosciences, and about their open house, which starts tomorrow and something you absolutely don't want to miss. Welcome to Pod of the Planet, a podcast about our changing planet and what we're doing to manage that change. I'm Q Lee, and I am part of the communications department at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. And it's a Sunday evening, one day before the Lamont Doherty's open house. And if you don't know what the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory is, I don't know what rock formation you've been hiding under. But um, all jokes aside, tomorrow and for the next four days, is an opportunity for you to really discover Lamont and see the type of scientific research that goes on up there that's really changing our understanding of our planet today in all different aspects from climate change to glaciology to um, to everything, to seismology and, and so forth. So um, I encourage our audience here to go to openhouse.ldeo.columbia.edu. You know, Open House itself has a real rich tradition. It's been going on for more than 50 years. And, uh, you know, the, the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory campus, which is located up in the Palisades, about 20 miles north of New York City, is really um, an extraordinary place. I like to think of it as the Disney World of the geosciences. And instead of characters like Mickey Mouse and Elsa from Frozen, you have, you know, geophysicists and and paleoclimatologists uh, showing you, you know, how volcanoes explode and um, things like rheology and 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 using oobleck to um, demonstrate the viscosity of of the Earth's mantle and and, and rocks and, and things like that. So, um, you know, this year uh, we we don't get to experience all of that in person, and and that's uh, that's unfortunate. But we have put um, a lot of effort into bringing all of that to everyone online. And so in, in a sense, we have, a, we have the opportunity to make a, that much more of an impact. And for the next four days, if, if we can get, you know, more people to experience the amazing uh, research and, and scientific discovery that happens at Open House, um, the, the better. Open House is meant for everyone uh, of all ages and all disciplines. It, this year we have, we'll have virtual tours of our core repository and, um, and our research vessel at uh, the Marcus G. Langseth. There will be TED style type talks on everything from why volcanoes matter and reading the ocean's diary and what that can tell us about uh, the climate crisis. And of course, we'll have entire sections dedicated to students from kindergarten through high school on everything from how glaciers work and and other demonstrations on what it's like being a scientist and working with things like tree rings and the Hudson River. Um, there's just so much. And so please, everyone, again, go to openhouse.ldeo.columbia.edu. And from here, let's, without further ado, go to our chat with Maureen Ramo. See you at Open House. Hello there. I'm Marie Denoya Aronson. I'm Director of Strategic Communications at Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory. I'm joined today by Maureen Ramo, 
She is the G. Unger Vettelson Professor of Earth and Climate Science, Director of the Lamont Corps Repository, and most recently, she has become Interim Director of Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory. Dr. Ramo studies the history of polar ice sheets and has identified several profoundly important ideas of paleoceanography. She studies our planet and is among the most decorated scientists on our planet. Welcome, Maureen Ramo. Thank you, Maureen. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. So, Maureen, you took the helm of Lamont Doherty on July 1st, 2020. You are the first woman and the first climate scientist to lead the observatory. But you, you took over at a time of global challenges. What has it been like for you to, uh, to take over during this interesting time? <laughs> it's been hard. Um, I, I won't lie about that. I mean, uh, yeah, I walked in to the directorate of a campus that, you know, everybody's working from home. People are under a lot of stress. Uh, it, you can't have face-to-face meetings with anybody. There's a lot of activity and unhappiness and ideas and excitement all wrapped up together around issues of diversity, equity, inclusion on campus. Um, I often think, God, this would be so much easier if we were just all sitting in a room together. <laughs> but um, but it's been great, you know. I mean, the job itself's been great. What is but it? It's like hard for you to know, you know, that you're stepping into this role. Lamont has been such a big part of your career already. Yeah, so that that's completely true. I was a graduate student at Lamont for uh, eight years. Uh, including a few years as a technician in the 80s. I came back to Lamont about 10 years ago. Um, I came back because I loved Lamont so much. I knew what a great place it was. I knew it was the leading research center in the world for what I do. Uh, So it's exciting to come back. And then to be asked to step into the role of interim director was such an honor. And, you know, once I wrapped my head around the idea, so exciting. Um, and I'm really happy to be here to to be able to, you know, help Lamont build strategically to uh, what's very exciting is being involved with the development of the climate school at Columbia University mm. and thinking about Lamont's role in the climate school and how we can contribute to that effort. Tell me about a little bit more about the climate school. I know the um, announcement came out this summer and it really is um, a first of its kind school and what a time for it to happen. Yeah, it's, it is exciting. I mean, if you think about, you know, 100 years ago, universities were establishing schools for public health and maybe schools for journalism and then law schools, but nobody's ever had a school for climate change. And the Columbia Climate School will be the first of its kind. And, and why do you need a climate school? Well, climate change, uh, sustainability, how do we live? you know, healthily and and sustainably on this planet when we are actively changing the climate of the planet is is a challenge that's so vast and so all-encompassing that it it transcends traditional school boundaries, it transcends traditional subject matter boundaries, and this school is envisioned as a way to just try to create the transformational knowledge that, that will be needed to tackle this huge global problem. 
you know, you mentioned transcending boundaries, and I, it reminds me of the nature of this problem of climate. And it does cross many, many disciplines. And Columbia has so many uh, strengths in so many areas. Um, is the place to make this happen or what? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory traditionally uh, over the decades has been world leading on understanding climate change, on understanding um, how climate's changed in the past and why providing the intellectual context within which to evaluate the changes that are happening now, uh, being able to, to, to uh, basically dissect what changes are human driven, what changes are natural, how has weather and climate evolved. And so that, you know, that question of is ongoing climate change man-made has been answered by the scientists. And this problem now is, is that the world is changing and all these other factors and fields have to come into play now. Like if people have to migrate away from a shoreline that's going underwater, you need uh, business strategies, you need economic strategies, you need uh, social justice strategies, you need legal strategies. So um, you need architectural strategies. So the problem of climate change is all encompassing in people's lives now. I mean, I think there's probably very few people that can think, Oh, I'm going to escape from climate change. If you're impacted by wildfires, you're not escaping from the impacts of climate change. Drought, sea level rise, storm surges, all of these things are impacting vast numbers of people around the planet. Just thinking about it in the way you just described the many, many impacts of climate change, it feels overwhelming when you think about all of those different factors together. What, um, how do you kind of keep your focus in terms of moving forward when there is just so much to think about and explore? Wow, Marie, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to think about this. I mean, you know, it's hard to stay positive because sometimes, you know, you know so much, it seems overwhelming. Um, you know, all these things, have, all these challenges have been with us. You know, hurricanes have always been with us. Forest fires have always been with us. Drought has always been with us. But what the baseline change in climate has done, this, this slow tweak, this slow walk to warmer, you know, average climates, what that's done is it's just really increased the size of the tail of the extremes. So, you know, 100-year storms are now coming every decade. Decadal storms are now coming every year. And the thing that's hard to grapple with is that you know that the situation is just getting worse. I mean, that's the one thing I always love about geologists. They have a much greater sense of time in history, I think, than most people because they look at history over centuries to millennia. Um, and so to, really to millions of years. And, you know, we can see that this is a problem that needs to be addressed right now. You know, we don't have time to leave this to the next generation. We're either going to leave them a solution or we're going to leave them just the worst disaster mankind has ever faced. 
And here you are in this um, really extraordinary research enterprise where we have a, you know, a legacy of firsts here, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you yourself, talk, talk to us a little bit about your field of um, paleo-oceanography. Because you talk about scales and going back, you mm -hmm. really know <laughs> that part of this story. Yeah. I mean, a perfect example is, you know, I've spent much of my career studying this obscure time period called the Pliocene. <laughs> and that with the Pliocene was about three to four million years ago. And uh, before the most recent ice ages started, and it was warmer then, and it was warmer then because CO2 in the atmosphere was higher. And that has to do with plate tectonic uh, and weathering processes that unfold over millions of years. And yet right now, we are living in a time period where the rate at which we're putting CO2 in the atmosphere is faster than those processes that unfold over millions of years. We are, you know, we are doing what nature takes millions of years to do in a century. And so at that time in the Pliocene, CO2 is the same as it is now. And, and one of the really rewarding and, and, and I mean, fun, because I think scientific puzzles are fun. One of the really fun things we've been researching in the last 10 years is trying to figure out how high was sea level in the Pliocene, because that tells us how much of the polar ice sheets melted. Wow. So it's been a really challenging and exciting um, research initiative. We've learned a lot about how, the, how, how land deforms over millions of years and, and, and how to reconstruct sea level in the past. And it's been really rewarding. But, you know, but the big picture answer is scary. It's like, yeah, <laughs> about half the polar ice sheets melt if you put CO2 at that level and keep it there for a thousand years. Wow. So I, I know there's that saying, what happens at the poles doesn't stay at the poles. <laughs> Basically, we're talking about our coastal lives, right? If, if we love our beach towns, we better be holding on to them at this point. Yeah. yeah I'm doing doom here, but... <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love that expression. What happens at the pools, poles doesn't stay at the poles. The polar ice sheets, the polar regions are warming faster than any other place on, on Earth. There are powerful positive feedbacks having to do with Earth's reflectivity. You melt back some snow and ice, you are going to absorb more of the incoming solar radiation. We all know that. Dark surfaces get warm up more than reflective surfaces. And so it's just kind of like creating this snowball warming effect. It's a kind of a mixed metaphor. Um, <laughs> and so, but, so those ice sheets are melting and, and you know, that water's not just staying up there. That is why sea levels risen by a foot in New York over the last hundred years. That's why Miami beach has such, you know, extreme and common nuisance flooding nowadays. Wow. Yeah. So, um, Talking about other th other <laughs> threats to humanity, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and that pandemic, as we mentioned, it's you know in full swing as you take over at Lamont. And here we are, and it's the month of October. Mm -hmm. And October is a very busy month for Lamont because each year we have our marquee public event where we open the campus to it's our open house. <laughs> yes, it's open house, and it's quite remarkable. I've 
been to a number of them. I know you've been to a lot more than I have. Yes. But um, this year, Open House goes online. So it's all virtual. What are you hoping will be the silver lining there? Well, first of all, I have to give a shout out to the Open House team at Lamont, uh, who've you know, I think have put together an incredible program of activities that is going to unfold over four days next week with activities targeted to children, to adults, to teenagers, uh, it really K to gray. So we hope there's something for everybody to learn, uh, and to enjoy and to have fun with. So, um, I'm excited. I hope the silver lining is, is that we can't, you know, bring you into our labs and do fun experiments like, you know, volcanoes and garbage cans exploding and things like that. But hopefully we'll reach, you know, I don't know, an order of magnitude more people. That could be exciting. I agree. I agree. I think that that's a real, very strong possibility considering who we are in the subject matter that and the way it's going to be presented. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a virtual escape room. Uh, oh, so yeah. <laughs> that looks like fun. That does look like fun. There's, you know, I agree with you. The, the open house team has just been so creative and proactively thinking about how to make the experience of being on our campus translate in a way that's visual and fun and engaging. And I just have to say that um, my background is journalism. And when I think about the panel discussions that will be open to the world, what an opportunity mm-hmm. to talk to these scientists, right? Who are you among them <laughs> on the cutting edge of this knowledge and be able to ask them questions yeah. you know, about, about their work and, and, and what is happening to our planet. Yeah. I, th- I think it's going to be terrific. I'm really particularly excited myself about seeing some of the TED style type talks that our junior scientists are going to be giving. And uh, I think that'll be really fun as well. Yeah. I've had the opportunity to engage with them on that project and it's, they are just wonderful. Just really thoughtful talks, very kind of a different approach, not your standard science talk, more like this is life, you know, yeah. and applying their unique perspective. So yeah, that should be a really, really fun one. So, um, so open house, that's great. When you took over at Lamont and I have the pleasure of working with you, you brought such a degree of energy and excitement, you know, something not always easy to generate, especially since we're remote here and, you know, a, a lot of, um, field expeditions, I understand, had to be postponed. Those things can be very disappointing. Your energy, though, has been really great, really positive. Tell us a little bit about what um, you're thinking for Lamont. You have quite a vision for the observatory. Yeah. um, I mean, I, I, coming in, it was really important for me to try to improve morale and increase increase morale. I mean, it is such a discouraging time. So many of us have had our field expeditions canceled. Uh, You know, people are home with their kids trying to work full time. They have no daycare, no school. I I understand how hard that is. You know, I, I, I was a 
you know, single mom raising kids for a while. It's just, it's hard. Um, so, but we'll get through this. And what do we want to do going forward? There's so much. We have just finished writing a new strategic plan, a new strategic vision for Lamont that just kind of outlines, outlines our uh, strategic scientific goals for the next 10 years. What are the areas we want to really move the needle on? Uh, these are topics that include forecasting volcanic eruptions using great new techniques and, and, and instruments and, and, and strategies. How do we better understand extreme weather and how it'll be changed as climate changes? How do we understand uh, earthquakes? How do we understand geo, geo health, we call it? You know, what are the public dimensions of, of air, soil, water, and ocean pollution? We have some of the best geochemists in the world here working on, you know, environmental pollution and sustainability. So, so that's one thing process we're, we're finishing up. Um, our campus is a little tired. I, one of my personal goals <laughs> is to really try to fundraise and, and create a vision for a 21st century campus, a campus that is carbon neutral, um, that has state-of-the-art labs and buildings for our scientists. So, uh, you know, that's going to be a challenge. It's, that's a challenge that costs money, but, you know, we got to have a vision to get there, right? Absolutely. It's, it's the most, well, one of the most important first steps anyway, mm-hmm. to any journey, right, is knowing where you want to go. And exactly. Where you end up. So, um, so that sounds, you know, really wonderful and exciting. What do you, what would you want people who aren't familiar with Lamont to know about us? Well, that's a great question. Lamont is a very special campus. It's a very special campus on 160 incredible, like, wooded, woodland acres. Um, it's, it's on an old estate. We have the, literally one of the most powerful concentrations of expertise in earth and climate research and science in the world, really. I mean, it's a place where people love to come and visit. It's, you know, people love working there. Uh, Our scientists range in age from undergraduates all the way to emeritus professors who are still deeply active on our campus. And, you know, I, like I said, when about 10 years ago, when I, my kids well, I'll say it. My kids left the nest and it was like, I was free to go wherever I wanted to go. It was like, I want to go back to Lamont. You know, I feel like it's like, maybe, maybe it would be like the equivalent of going to NASA space camp every day. I feel like every day I get to go to Lamont science camp. (laughs) That's wonderful. There is such a sense. I'm not a scientist, obviously I'm a writer, but there's such a sense of community at Lamont. And I really noticed that among the scientists and the the collaborative nature of the place. Yeah, it it is. It's almost like our signature kind of characteristic. And, and, you know, it's why we have such an incredible historical record of accomplishment. I mean, I look right now and I see our seismologists partnering with our glaciologists to monitor the polar ice cap stability by measuring ice quakes instead of earthquakes and it's like where does things like that happen it happens at places like Lamont where you have just this great community all working together 
and in breaking down boundaries between subjects and seeing new connections. And it happens all the time. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Ice quakes and earthquakes. <laughs> I know. Something else to write about in there. Actually, there's another story that's kind of like that. I don't know if you have time, but a graduate student was studying um, glacial outbursts from mountain glaciers in the Himalayas. And they usually monitor these in streams with stream gauges. And they try to create like the equivalent of like a tsunami, you know, alert system. And he realized, well, this is such a powerful event, this like kind of ice dam break from these glaciers that maybe an earthquake, uh, maybe a seismograph would pick it up on a seismographic network. And so it turns out that they can find these glacial outburst floods in seismograph records. So, you know, this could develop a whole new way to create an early warning system for people in the valleys far downstream from these events in these little villages. Wow, that's profound potential, correct? I know, two grad students did this, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It is amazing, it is amazing. And I could tell by the way you talk about it, how excited you are, which which is great, which is Lamont. Yes. (laughs) Well, uh, Maureen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your crazy busy schedule. And I know we're going to see a lot of you next week during virtual open house. It's Lamont already open house at home, we're calling it. We're looking forward to that. Good. I hope lots of you tune in. Uh, I really welcome you all to come come visit us. Terrific. Thanks, Maureen.